many of us, we uh, have had family, we've been at airports, all kinds of things have happened in the last uh, week. And um, I want to encourage you, uh, it is that time. You know, Christmas Eve is approaching. We actually have Christmas Eve invites today, so make sure you grab some of those. I, I know that people are already like, hey, I, I'd love to come to church on Christmas Eve. I'm like, hey, that's awesome. We also meet every Sunday before then, just so you're aware, but you're more than welcome to come on Christmas Eve. Uh, and so we have invite cards. Christmas Eve is on a Saturday this year, uh, which is a little different, uh, That, and you'll notice that reflected in the, the times of the gatherings, 1, 3, and 5. Uh, and also this year, Christmas Eve, uh, I'm really excited. We're going to be doing baptisms on Christmas Eve. We've never done that. And uh, with the theme being joy, I'm like, let's go for it. All right. So that's going to be happening uh, this Christmas Eve. So get invites for that. Advent. Okay. So for some of you, the word Advent, it, it evokes all kinds of different thoughts. Uh, for some of you, it's like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. For others of you, maybe you go, well, what really is that? Or I've, I've heard different things. I've heard studies, all of that. Well, let me break that down for us as we go into this series. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. In Advent in the 4th and the 5th centuries, it was a time uh, for Christians, uh, it was a time of, of preparation that they would go into for the baptism of new Christians, people that had just decided to follow Jesus. And so Christians, uh, historically, they would spend 40 days in prayer and fasting uh, to prepare for the celebration that accompanied uh, the new baptism of these believers. Over time, Advent uh, became connected to the coming of Christ, specifically the coming of Christ. And originally, the connection point to the coming of Christ was in relation to his second coming, when he was going to come back. But then uh, we, we look and we, and we study and we see that in the Middle Ages, Advent uh, became connected to Christ's first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas. And so today we celebrate, uh, as Christians, we celebrate Advent over the four weeks leading up to Christmas each and every year. And not only is the Christian meaning for, for, for preparation and celebration for the coming of Christ at his birth, the Christmas time, but it is also the anticipation of his second coming that we anticipate and we talk about uh, and are excited for that return as well. And so this Advent season, is, it's an invitation for each and every one of us. It's an invitation to remove all of the distractions and the chaos uh, from this Christmas season and focus our thoughts on the gift that has been given to us in Jesus, the God who stepped down into earth as flesh so that you and I could experience a relationship with God. And just as we see throughout the Old Testament, them waiting for the Messiah, today we celebrate that the Messiah came and we anticipate his second coming. So let's, let's walk through this. Uh, when we see uh, the Old Testament, at the heart of the Old Testament, and this is all the way from the beginning, 
we see uh, that there is this expectancy that the people are called to have. They, there's this expectancy um, for, this, uh, for this Savior, for this Messiah, that God would send uh, this, this king from the line of, of David who would bring the blessings of God to the nations of the world, and he would sacrifice his life for the sins of everyone. And so uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see this promise. And in fact, we see it all the way in Genesis. Uh, after Adam and Eve uh, sinned, we see Jesus actually telling Satan, like, listen, uh, you, through the line uh, of Adam, you are going to be crushed. So there's going to be a deliverer. There is going to be uh, a savior. And, and we see prophecy after prophecy throughout the Old Testament about who this Messiah would be and what he would do. And so what I want to do here for a minute is just look at some of these prophecies. Now, there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament. So we're not going to cover them all, but what I want to connect uh, you guys to is the ones that, that I would say probably more specifically relate to uh, the Christmas season, uh, and in particular, songs we sing or words we hear when it comes to uh, Christmas. And, and what's important to understand and know as, as we read these different prophecies is these were prophecies that were spoken by, by prophets who were in those days the mouthpieces of God. Okay, so, so God would designate these prophets and he would speak to the people through these prophets. And, 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 and we see this once again all throughout uh, the Old Testament. And what's so remarkable about what we're going to read uh, when it comes to the prophecies about the Messiah is that these are not prophecies that were made, hey, one year before, two years before, or even like, okay, Mary's pregnant, this is what's going to happen. Like, no, these are prophecies that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. So, so it's amazing. Uh, for many of you that, that maybe are, are skeptical, this will help you uh, to understand just how significant this was and how significant that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. So in Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says this, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. Okay, and then I, Isaiah 7, 14. And I want you to hear, hear the, the undertones here. Hear the message, hear the hope that is being uh, projected and the signs as well that go along with it. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, uh, 2, and then 6 and 7, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Then we see in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And then lastly, here in Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So, so you get this perspective from some of these prophecies here. And like I said, there's so many of uh, them. But what you get a window into is this promised Savior. The promised one who is going to come, who is going to what? We, we see words like deliver, rescue, set the captives free, right? Make things right, reign in righteousness, set things how they are originally supposed to be. This is the fulfillment. And so, and so for hundreds of years, as each prophecy is told, and then they wait, and then another prophecy is told, and they wait, and they're all anticipating this. But, but as they wait and anticipate what? The Savior's not there. People come through the works and say, well, I'm the Savior. But over and over again, that proves not true. We get to the Old Testament, and it's not like at the end of the Old Testament, you turn a page, and there you are in the New, and Jesus just appears. No, there's 400 years during the intertestamental testamental period there. Uh, and so it's just like years and years, hundreds of years of, of, of waiting, growing up as a Jewish child, knowing that there is a Savior uh, that, that, that's supposed to come, that you're supposed to be looking for, reading the scriptures and understanding understanding, hey, these are the things to look for. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to bring. And, and all of that with the continual reminder from the law that your best is never good enough. Right? Like, like we see that was the intent of the law. The law that they clung to, the law that they, that they meant everything was about obeying the law, measuring up to the law, right? And yet the law was actually created for them to see that you could never measure up to the law. You could never be perfect enough. And so on top of it, as you get better at the law, you more and more see my need for a savior. And so that's it. That's the message that's being heard. That's what people are looking for. They're anticipating. That was what their hope was to be resting upon. Their hope was to be resting upon the promise from God that he would send a Messiah, a Savior. But what do we see, unfortunately, and we talked about this a little bit throughout the book of Nehemiah. We see a nation that struggled. We see people that although had these promises to cling to, we see over and over again misplaced hope, don't we? We see moments of anticipation, moments of urgency, but then we see forgetfulness. We see as things get better in their lives, as things work out for them, they disobey and realize my way is working just fine. And so 
over time, we see forgotten the very promise that they were to place their hope and trust in. Now, as we unpack hope and, 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 and where our hope's at, you need to first understand that the English translation uh, that we go off of when it comes to hope, it means the opposite sense of the biblical word hope. Okay, so we've got to first understand that. See, if, if I tell you, I know this is going to happen. I know that's going to happen. What are you thinking? Steve is certain that's going to happen, right? Just, just yes. It's 1030. You should be awake by now. Let's go. Come on. Like, yes, okay? If I say, I hope this happens. Some of you were saying that a lot at your TV. I hope this happens. What does that communicate to you? Uncertainty, right? Right? That, that if, if I say, man, I hope I'm going to walk out of here today and it's clear skies. You're like, that's very uncertain, Steve. <laughs> but you can hope all you want, right? See, often that kind of hope is how we interpret biblical hope and apply biblical hope when we see the word hope in our Bible. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. In, in fact, in the, the Greek word, um, elpis, uh, it means assurance of the future. So, so it's assured anticipation. So, so biblically, when we see the word hope, when, when we see that, that we're to anchor our hope to something, that we're to put our hope in something, that is not, oh, I hope this works out. Or, you know, Christianity was the best of the other options. So I just, I, I think, I, I hope that, that it's probably going to be there. No, this is, this is an, uh, an assurance that it's going to happen. Right? This is, I, I know who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus. My hope rests in who he is. I trust that and I know that. It's not I'm hopeful in Jesus. And you guys, this is, to be honest, the opposite of how we typically use the word hope. And apply it, isn't it? So when I say, biblically, I'm hoping in something, I'm living like it's going to happen. We're told to what? Place our hope and our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to anticipate his return. In fact, uh, he says over and over again, and we see uh, it said in the New Testament how he's going to return. John 14, uh, 1 through 3, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So over and over again, um, we are told of the promise um, that, that is not only realized through salvation, through the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross, but we are to look forward to, in anticipation, his return, which we read, nobody knows when. We just know it's going to get nasty around here before he comes back. And I know for some of you, you're like, it's nasty enough. 
Like, like, is this it? Is this the bottom? Because it feels like the bottom. And then all of a sudden, some average is like, nope, that wasn't the bottom. It, it got worse. Like, I don't know how it got worse, but it got worse. And, uh, and, and for the last three years, you've been saying, God, this is it. Now you're coming back. And he's like, no, it can get worse, and it's going to. And then you're like, all right, what's going on here? You know, what am I missing? Um, but we realize and know that we don't know. We just know that he's going to come back. But what we have to ask this morning And this is what I really want to drive home uh, for us today. And and this is a challenging topic because it's a topic many of us um, have made a, a just a normal one. When we talk about hope, it's just a normal word we just throw out there. It's kind of like doing a sermon on love. You're like, eh, I know that. When it comes to hope, though, it's something in our Christian language we just use and we throw it out there in so many different places, right? Uh, And and we talk about it at home and in conversations with people. But but, but this morning, what I really hope I can cut to the core of is, is what, when you get right down to it, what is your hope really resting upon? Will it be the promises of God, right? Will it be, is my hope anchored to the promises of God or is it the other promises that I am absolutely being bombarded with? And and why is this such an important and timely message? You guys, this is such an important and timely message because where you place your hope is directly connected to your joy. It's also directly connected to your peace. And when you think of our culture, and, 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 we'll just, and we'll not just highlight people that don't know Jesus, but we'll talk about people that say, oh, I'm a Jesus follower, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I see the very same issue. Uh, I see a lack of joy, I see a lack of, of peace, and so something's missing, isn't it? Something's missing, and it's a hope issue. And so as our, uh, so we've got to ask this morning, where is my hope going to land on? What am I going to rest? What, what am I going to cling to when it comes to my hope? And, and guys, like I said, uh, your hope is being attacked. It's being assaulted more than it ever has uh, before. You know, um, and I experienced this Friday morning. It's so interesting how Thursday, I'm with my parents. I'm glad they've flown in. We're having a great day. We're thankful, all all of these things. And then Friday morning, Friday morning happens. And all of a sudden, I'm immediately, Friday morning, I open my eyes and I am flooded and bombarded with all of the things that are missing in my life, right? Through Black Friday, right? I mean, an all-out assault for my hope. And it is remarkable how they know exactly what you think you're missing and what you need. And so there it is, flooding my emails. Today is the day. Everything you're missing, Steve, we found. And... It's on sale just for you and just today. 
Now, granted, like within hours, the night before, God, you're so good. You're enough. Thank you. I'm so glad I get these moments. My family, even though sometimes family can be rough, amen? Uh, at the end of the day, you go, okay, God, we had another year together. And sometimes that's good enough. And, 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 and you have some moments and interactions that you're thankful for. And then literally Friday morning, it is like everything where he was enough and you were thankful is now not enough. And there you are being assaulted and bombarded with all of the things missing from your life. And here's the thought, right? If I just had that, how many of us thought, man, if I just had that, some of you are still chewing on one of those things. You're like, they said that deal continues, so I've got some time, right? But if I just had that, and, and if you're a parent, Oh, if my kids just had that. Oh, if they had that, they would be so much more normal. No, uh, uh, successful. They would, oh, if they had that, man, I know everything would be different. Honey, look at this, right? And then, and then, and then, man, and I don't know if it was just this year and it's like Black Friday knew my soul, but it was like trips, right? If you just go on this trip, this will cause your marriage to thrive. This will bring you together. And truly, if you go on this trip, your marriage will look like the gospel. And, and, and so if we just go there, honey, all these other things will just disappear in our lives. This conflict, it's going to be gone. And then there's the tech lies, right? The tech lies, like if you just buy this, guess what? You're going to have more time for your family and people and you'll be more efficient. And yet what does it do? It, it hijacks more and more time. And on top of that, I can scroll on social media right after that and see that all of those things delivered for other people that I know. And they seem so much more fulfilled now because they got that, right? And that's this cycle of bombardment that we're experiencing. And it comes back to that question of what is my hope resting on? What is the true source of my joy? Because we seem to put our hope and our trust in all of these other things, don't we? What are these other things? What are the things that we see over and over again? Well, I mean, one easy, low-hanging fruit is comfort, right? We put our hope in comfort. Well, the, the house that I have or the house I, I need to have and what that house needs to have in it, uh, where I live, and, and no, 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 I can't live over there. I have to live over here. So where I live, what I drive, it is amazing how through time we have this expectation that because I'm so-and-so, I should be driving this certain thing. Man, I remember when I had an 88 Escort and I was thriving, what happened to that version of myself, right? To where now I deserve this. Um, the things that, 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 that I, I believe I should have, um, how much money I should make, right? The lifestyle that I need to maintain. And we don't say that out loud. We don't project that. We just believe it at our core, that I deserve a certain lifestyle. And so we put all our eggs in that basket, right? That, of comfort. 
in our lives, that, that my life is going to be good and, and it's going to be comfortable. People are going to look at it and they're going to go, wow, they uh, have made it. That's where it's at. And so all these things are that you're going to be flooded with to place your hope in are going to sell you on this is going to bring you comfort. You've been missing out on this. We place our hope in being accepted or being received by other uh, people. And really what this is, is this is a hope in other people's approval. Now, here's the reality. If you need the approval of people, you are absolutely enslaving yourself to other people's opinions of you. I mean, you're, you're enslaved to that. You're constantly, you're probably nervous, anxious over interactions. You walk away going, man, did I offend them? I hope not. I hope they knew that was a joke. I hope they knew that, that I really meant that. Uh, man, I prayed for them. Ah, I don't know how that came across. Honey, how did that come across in the prayer, right? Um, and, and, and you're going to constantly be in your head wondering if you blew it. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, that's me, Right? rehashing every interaction over and over again. And texting has only made that worse. I mean, now that's a train wreck. You can't tell tone. All of a sudden, everybody started using exclamation points to everything they said, which confused me. I was like, why is everybody mad now? Um, but my wife's like, no, that's just how people talk. So then you've got to keep up to the lingo. And now uh, for me, I've got my spouse, my wife reading every text I send. Because I'm like, honey, how do you think this could be perceived? I don't know, right? And, and so it, it takes us to this place uh, where, where literally our, our hope is in that we'll be accepted, we'll be received. You come into this church and you're like, man, I just pray. I just need to be accepted. I need to be received above anything else. I want to be, I, I just want to know that, that people are okay with me. And, and, and man, if your hope is in this, in approval, and when you get rejected, it rocks you. It rocks you. We hope in control, don't we? Oh, right? My ability to make sure certain outcomes happen for me, my work, my family, you know what's best. So if you can control that environment, that outcome will happen, right? Man, I struggle with this. We place our hope in that. So, but, but the problem is now your, your hope is resting on environments that you're actually not in control over and your hope is based upon controlling other people who you definitely are not in control over. And so this is a dangerous game and it just doesn't work because you can't control, right? You can't control. We place our hope in success, right? That's a big one place our hope in success or, or, or its status, right? Maybe it's not, it's not like, oh, I want to be, maybe it's not successful so much, but maybe you say it's like status or, or a position of, of authority. And, and, and in this, you're like, man, I, I, I want to win. I want to be the best. And so I need to have this title associated to my name. Uh, I, I need to make sure I have this uh, position. Um, and, 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 and when we're on this game, when our hope's in that, then what needs to happen? I need to be recognized. I need to be recognized for my achievement. I need to be recognized for hitting that specific number, that target. And I mean, that is a dangerous game. And you guys, man, I struggle with this one. I'll be the first to tell you. I mean, I'm a competitive person. 
How many of you are competitive? Yeah, see, it's a problem. A lot of us have it. I mean, it's so bad. Uh, <laughs> one of the guys on the worship team, we used to be neighbors. And uh, when we first moved here, I, I'll never forget, we got a Christmas tree and it was, it was the tallest Christmas tree I'd ever had, including my childhood. And I looked at it and I was like, honey, there it is. Look at how tall that is. We walk over to our neighbor's house. Goes to this church. I walk in. And they wanted us to see something else that they had been working on. And I just look at their tree. And I go, hey, man, how, how tall is your tree? <laughs> and he told me, and I still haven't forgotten it. In fact, this morning, I asked him how tall his tree was this year. Um, so I'm competitive, right? I, I have to know that. I have to understand and know that there's something in me, right? And, and, and you guys, not all these things are bad. It's not bad to want to win at something. It's not bad to want to be uh, the best or to work hard or even to have uh, achievements as a goal. That is not wrong. The problem is when we tie our hope to it. And, and what's so dangerous about that too is uh, the definition of what success is or isn't usually comes from uh, you or, or, or some warped opinion of somebody who's not even in your life anymore. And so here you are, you are like paralyzed to this definition of success. And you feel like you have to hit. And anything that doesn't measure up, you are a weakness, uh, you're weak, you failed, you don't measure up, and you hang your head in that shame because your hope is based upon your status or your success. And you guys, I want to tell you, this is such a dangerous thing because what happens too, for those of you with kids, is you start to project that and pass that along to your kids. What a dangerous thing to pass on. I was at a sporting event recently and uh, I was sitting there and there was a person around me and it was clear they didn't have like one or two extra drinks. They had like five or six beyond what they should have had. And uh, I'm trying to focus on the game, but then I'm starting to think like, you know, if a righteous elbow like Nehemiah-ish happened, would the church fire me? You know, like those type of things started entering my mind. I held off and... Uh, because my hope wasn't there. And, <laughs> and over time, uh, it's like, okay, this, this person is so loud. And what I, I just started to hear it. And, and what it was, was how great they were at this sport. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the message every dad needs to hear. And so dads, this is your message. You're not as good as you think you were. <laughs> None of us were, Okay. But he just, he just kept talking how good he was. And then this is what broke my heart. Started talking about what he's told his kid and how good his kid had to be to measure up. And that's when I just went, man, this poor kid, this poor kid is growing up in that. And... Uh, I, I'm reminded of this quote from Tim Keller where he said, my prayer life and entire life changed when I realized that God is not under any obligation to make me succeed according to my idea of success. And so all, all of these things, you guys, they just, they're, they're competing for your hope, right? Even your health, 
And some of us are just so, we are over the top crazy about our health. And, and, and that doesn't, oh man, the last three years taught us, like you can't place your hope in that. You just can't, right? So, so what, what are you hoping in? Like, like, and maybe it's, it's a question of, if we asked your kids, what would they say you place your hope in? Right, what would they say? That man, that's, what, that's where mom and dad, that's where they land. That, that's their hope. That's everything to uh, them. And, and I wanna go to Hebrews 10 here. You're like, finally, I, I was wondering if you remember that. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23, this is what it says. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. As that section is huge and it's so important that Hebrews doesn't drop it right there. Hebrews alludes to this multiple times, multiple times before this section, Hebrews talks about this. And when it's talking about what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, in fact, in Hebrews 6, 19, he says, that is an anchor for your hope. That's the anchor. That's what you place and you base all your hope upon. And why is that an important deal? Why, what, what is significant about this passage? You need to understand that when we talk about the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, uh, the, the, the people would wait outside as the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Okay, so the people are outside. They don't get to go into the Holy Holies. Uh, the priest gets to go in there in the presence of God and, and, and they're outside and they're waiting. All right, when's he gonna come back? Then he would come back, right? But that's where they were parked. Jesus became what? Our new high priest. Here's what happened with Jesus. When Jesus came, lived a perfect life, when Jesus died on the cross for your and my sins, when he resurrected to a new life to give us victory over sin and death, Jesus went into the Holy of Holies and guess what? Jesus never came back. But here's what Jesus did. He broke down the curtain that divided you and me from the very presence of God. And not only did he break it down, he then invited you and me in. Why is that so significant? Do you, do you see what it's saying? That, that, that through the work of Jesus, you are now completely known by God and welcomed into his presence. Do you see that? He, 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 talks, he cleansed your heart. He cleansed your heart, that, that evil conscience that you know you have. He, he took care of that for you. Your body is, is absolutely washed clean so that you are welcomed to and invited into the very presence of God. And guys, that is what you put your hope in. That is, as Hebrews says earlier, an anchor for your soul. And you hold fast to that hope 
And this is not the, the, oh, our translation of hope, right? This is the biblical translation of hope. This is, this is assurance of that, that I hold to that firmly. This is hope in the fact that what? You guys, I, you've got to see this. This is hope in the fact that he has not abandoned you. He didn't abandon you, right? Like he didn't go into the Holy of Holies and go, oh, hey God, so glad we got rid of them, right? Ah, it's just us again. No, he, he, he went in there and it, because he wanted to make a way for you. And so he's cleansed you. And so, so right here, this scripture is communicating that, that God has never abandoned you. God is faithful. From the Old Testament through the New, you will see this message loud and clear that God is faithful. He is faithful. Over and over again, you go, man, he must be done with them. My goodness, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they turned away from him again. I can't believe they would, they would go back to that lifestyle and do that. Well, he's probably done there. That's it. Goodbye, Bible. And then in the New Testament, really? You're going to put the Savior on the cross? He's, he's definitely done now. And, and, and over and over again, to where it gets to you and I, right? And, and, and none of us in this room are perfect. Uh, and and, and, and we, we all make mistakes. We all say and do things we wish we shouldn't. And that's in our past as well. And so I don't need to sit here and like relive the highlight reel with you. You know that you're broken. Now, some of you are really like, not real. You are. You know you are. And if you think you aren't, I'm even more happy you're here. You, you, you're broken. We are all broken. Every single one of us are broken. And, and so we're disconnected. And, we, and, we, and, and, and it's like, man, he's, he's probably given up, right? I mean, I did it again. Lost my cool again. I, I said what I shouldn't have said. There it is again. I wrecked my marriage. Man, my kids are, are, are a disaster. Here I go again, right? He's given up on me. You guys, the message is loud and clear. God is faithful to you. Even when I am faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny who he is. Jesus is the embodied testimony that God is faithful. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We have to look to Jesus, we have to make sure our hope is in Jesus. All of the promises of God all throughout scripture find their yes in him. And guys, that's what you hold. That's what you cling to. That's what your hope has to rest upon. He will not abandon you. Hope arrived at Jesus's birth. The salvation that they'd been looking for had arrived and our hope is anchored to that very salvation as we await the second coming. And guys, this is a hope that can't be taken from you. Everything I talked about, you know, the hope, and, and I could go on for probably all day, all the different things that we are tempted to put our hope into, right? Every single one of those things, some of you, all of the things I listed, you lost at some point right? It let you down at some point. Guys, this hope is something that cannot be taken away from you. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.3, he talks about, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're born again into this living, this active, this, this experienced daily hope that we now have through the finished work of Jesus. Right? And, and, and so this isn't a hope that's anchored to something that could go away or fade. No, this is alive, it's active, it's living, and every day I get to experience it. So every day uh, I get to experience the byproduct of my hope being anchored to Jesus, right? So, so what does that mean? That means that crazy train ride that everybody's on, I don't have to be on it. It means that my joy isn't attached to any of those things, isn't attached to any of those outcomes, isn't attached to my comfort, my control, or even my success. It's attached to Jesus. So I have peace. It means my joy. I'm, I can be happy. I mean, man, with like the news, right? It's like, man, how do you even find space to be happy anymore? Right? It just gets worse. Well, it depends what your hope's in. In Romans 5, 15, I want to close with these verses. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a hope that does not disappoint. This is a hope that keeps you secure. Because who made the promise? God did, right? And so if, if this morning, if my peace or my joy is all over the map, if I say it's conditional, guys, it's anchored to the wrong hope. And, and I know for many of us, man, the last three years just revealed that to a degree we never wanted to see. He alone is where our hope comes from, and I pray that that's what we see today. And I pray that during this Advent season that we're in, that with God's help, we will remove the discouragement that we feel, the distractions, the anxiety that have filled this year and that we will pause and reflect and remember the hope that we have in Jesus. You guys, what's so encouraging is this. He already knows the end of our story. He already knows the end of your story. And that can be frustrating sometimes because we want to know. But he promises this for you. He promises a victorious ending if you've placed your faith and your hope and trust in him. And so today we ask the Holy Spirit to renew our sense of holy anticipation and that we would eagerly await the return of Jesus. Amen.